Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Topical Brainstorm. I am Garrett Fox here with Christian Larson. How's it going, Christian? It is going well. How are you doing? Good. Pretty good. Uh, just started a new job, which is going well. Um, yeah, anything new with you? Um, I don't have anything to report on, no. Nice. Uh, you Your new job, uh, does it start at 6 in the morning or something like that? So, I'll have to be there between 6.30 and 7 every day starting next week. Okay. Um, and then I can leave, depending on how I plan my breaks and which ones I clock out in and out for, I could leave between you know, three or I'll leave between three and four sometime every day. Okay. Not bad. Yeah, not bad at all. I was going to say that's quite a commute for you at the moment, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like 40 minutes. Yeah. Which isn't ideal, but. Yeah. At least. You got to do what you got to do. Yeah, it's early enough that it won't be rush hour. Yeah. Um, I've, like this week, I've had to get there at 9. Yeah. Uh, which, traffic has been bad, but it hasn't been, like, super bad, which has surprised me. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. yeah. It's been nice. Traffic is rough. Yeah. That's for sure. I have a very hard time um, not getting upset. But <laughs> I also, you know, I like, whenever I'm sitting in traffic, I try to have the best mindset I can about it, you know? <laughs> I could see you just stewing, man. <laughs> now, even when I go into it with, like, I'm not going to get upset, I'm just going to try to enjoy my slow drive home. I, I, I just can't. I can't stay in that state long enough to get all the way home. <laughs> I always get upset at something or someone. That's funny, dude. It's Have you learned old. nothing from this book? <laughs> <laughs> I'm working on it. I mean, the, the good fair. news since the pandemic hit is I, I just don't have to commute every day. You know, I have to commute like once or twice a week lately. Um, have you been going into the office that much? A lot easier. Yeah, I've been going in most Wednesdays. Um, and then a few weeks I've gone in, you know, an extra day or two. But trying to get to know my coworkers. And, yeah, do they actually you know, know you? Or are they like, who's this weird guy that keeps showing up on Wednesdays? Well, they offer free pizza on Wednesday. So a lot of people show up on Wednesday. Uh um, oh. But, and by a lot, I mean like 10 to 12 people in okay big office floor that used to be full, apparently, before the pandemic. But So there are a couple guys I'm getting to know, and, uh, you know, a few of them I've, I've been working with. And by that, I mean I'm on the phone with them a lot anyway, so. But, um, yeah, I'm getting to know a few people, so. So they, like. At least know who you are. Yeah. So that's good. A few people do. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, 
at my work, I know like four or five people. And the company has, this location has probably over 500 people working for it. So it's weird to just walk through and see all these people. And I'm, to not know any of them is kind of daunting. I mean, you're, you're probably not going to know most of them, even after oh, yeah. you stay there for a few years. Yeah. <laughs> My boss knows, like, everybody. It's yeah. really weird. <laughs> But, all right. So, uh, yeah, I don't have anything else. Yeah, let's get into it then. Finish this book. All right. Yeah, today is, uh, we're wrapping up The Untethered Soul. We may do an extra episode to just give our final thoughts and opinions on it. And we might combine that with our next book, which I'm not sure if we've chosen yet or not. Um we'll let you know, let you listeners know <laughs> but today we're going over the last 5 chapters of the book it's part 5 titled living life so the first chapter is called the path of unconditional happiness and it's this idea that you can be happy no matter what happens you decide to be happy And uh, what usually stops people from being happy is we all have these uh, preconceived notions or preferences for how things should be. And when things deviate from these, these preferences that we have, it upsets us and we get mad and therefore we're not happy. And the whole point of this chapter is to say that even if these things happen you can still be happy because you've decided to be happy. Uh, that's what I got out of it anyway. What What do you think? Yeah, what I wrote down was it kind of boiled down to one question, and it was, do I want to be happy or not? And the author claims that no matter what, you are in control of the answer to that question you can decide how you're going to interpret any event that happens in your life and you can decide whether you want to be happy or not. Um, And he says it super definitively. Obviously, I think there are things that can happen in life that are just going to make you sad, you know? Like someone close to you dies or something. Like you're allowed to be sad with that, right? But where I definitely agree with him is... Long term, you know, two or three months after that happens, you can decide your outlook on life. You can decide if you're going to see things optimistically or pessimistically. And you can decide whether you want to be really jaded because something bad happened to you or whether you want to try to have a positive outlook on life and move forward, you know? Yeah. And... The one other quote that I really liked from this chapter was, enjoying life's experiences is the only rational thing to do, which uh, hit me pretty hard, Um, and I I think I agree with that sentence, you know? Um, I really don't think someone could 
convince me that um, being a pessimist or a realist, however you want to say it, but I don't think anyone could convince me that being a pessimist is like the better way to live your life, you know? Yeah. Um, hey, for the record, I don't think pessimism, pessimism and realism are the same thing. You're but... right. They're not. <laughs> I just feel like sometimes we'll call someone a pessimist. They're like, no, I'm a realist, but they're actually yeah. pessimistic. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you there. So let me ask you, why do you think that it's irrational to, uh, to not be happy in life? Um, it, it also reminded me of, and, and maybe a lot of this is, is my religious beliefs, but it reminded me of the scripture in second Nephi men are that they might have joy. I just think we're here to, we're here to have joy. That's one of the purposes we're here for one of the purposes of life and, and, and a reason I'm not being able to talk very well, but no, you're good. No, I, I agree with you. That that thought stuck out with me as well. He he actually said that uh, pretty much word for word, like, you're on this earth to have joy, uh, and life should be joyful. I do think that what he is getting at more is that you, even in the moment, if you train yourself to be happy, even when someone dies, you can accomplish that. I don't think that's super realistic, especially it, it just when things happen like that, it just puts you in a bad place. And I do think you can train yourself to get out of it quickly or more quick than than normal, uh, which is what I think he's trying to get at. Yeah, but. And I mean, we, we throw out the word happy, right? Which maybe this is just semantics, but um, I mean, I think in a, in a scenario where, where one of your, one of the people closest to you in your life passes away, it's like, sure, maybe you can train yourself to like, not let that affect you and be happy, but like. Again, I would question whether that's really the healthiest way to deal with it. But, you know, if you use words such as hopeful or, yeah. you know, like working toward being at peace with something like that, I definitely agree with you. Like you can you can continue to be hopeful throughout that thing and still feel plenty of sadness. Yeah. And I wouldn't I wouldn't think that not feeling sadness is a better way to, to handle something like that, you know. Um, yeah. But, yeah, well, I, on the base level, I agree that. Um, like overall, if you're enjoying life's experiences, if you are happy or content or peaceful, like I, I think that is really the most rational way to, to live your life. Well, let me throw this at you. Can you be sad? Can you feel that, that sad emotion and still be happy and have joy? Cause I don't think that they're mutually exclusive, you know? I think you can feel both of them at the same time, which is very confusing. But it's it, so here's an example. Like if you have a loved one that's that has some sort of chronic disease and they're just going downhill and they're in tons of pain and they they kick it 
like I'd be sad, but I'd also be happy that they're no longer in that pain. So I don't I don't feel like their sadness and happiness are mutually exclusive to each other. Yeah, I agree. It reminds me of the movie Inside Out. Yeah. Um, which is just oh, that's a good <laughs> that's a good movie. <laughs> that's a good one to pull out of the hat right here. You pretty much explained the plot of that movie in your own way, but <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you. Okay. So this next chapter is called the spiritual path of non-resistance. I'm going to let you take this one. Okay. Um, most of the parts of this book really felt kind of like they mixed all together, uh, all the, the individual chapters within each part. Um, but this last part, I feel like each chapter was pretty distinct. Um, except for potentially this chapter and the one we just discussed. I feel like those two are kind of just one cohesive idea. But um, what I got from this chapter was he talks about removing our fears and um, kind of seeing those, you know, events that happen in our lives. We can call them obstacles. We can call them challenges. Um I think he calls them problems at one point. Does he? Yeah, there's another word Like for personal it. problems. A personal problem. He kind of says the best way to view those is to view those as just an event that happens. Um, and the reason that we see them as challenges is because we have a preconceived idea of how people should behave, how things should be. Um, for example, me and Kylie have had a ton of car issues this year. <laughs> Yeah. And uh, like we got rear-ended back in November and we had a bunch of work done on our car and it was all covered with insurance and that was fine. We had a rental for like a week, but um, just driving home from work last week or two weeks ago, the check engine light came back on. Right. And it was just so frustrating to me. And uh, that was one of those times when I was like, I'm going to enjoy my commute home. And then that turned on. <laughs> I was just like, <laughs> oh my gosh, it's ruined. Uh, but you know, I only felt so much frustration because I had this idea that my car was just going to keep working. There weren't going to be more issues with it, you know? Um, but after I ignored that light for a week, I was finally like, okay, we should probably go get it looked at and whatever. And then I was able to work through that challenge without being frustrated. It ended up, it was just like the gas cap that needed to be replaced. And hopefully that's fixed now. Right. But he kind of talks about how the best way to deal with this is to, when a challenge comes up, let that frustration just pass through you. Going back to that seat of consciousness, how you experience things and emotions and things just pass through you. Just let those negative emotions pass through you and then deal with the problem. You know, being able to completely focus on that problem, not feeling frustration or anger or sadness or whatever. But just being able to deal with those issues without feeling all that fear, all that stuff. Then all of those obstacles simply become events that you have to deal with. Um, but you're able to deal with them much better when you don't view them necessarily as problems. Yeah, I agree with. I So a real 
a real world example, another one uh, that I'll throw out there. I asked my sister when uh, a while ago if she was going to have an epidural when she uh, gave birth, and she said, "I don't know. I haven't thought about it, and I'm not gonna think about it because I want I want to keep my options open." So apparently, a lot of women feel like they plan out their pregnancy and how they're going to give birth. And if it happens differently from how they've planned it, they feel like they've failed, um, which is interesting and something I've never thought about. So, and I think that's the same thing. Like we, we have these preconceived notions of how things should be. And if it doesn't go that way, it affects us emotionally somehow, whether it's anger or, or we feel like we failed. Um, so yeah, I just think that's really interesting. Uh, another thing he talks about is how, if you can view these, these problems or whatever you want to call them, uh, what did you call them? Not problems, but obstacles challenges obstacles these trials um if you can view them as events you can deal with them with remarkable clarity which i agree like if if you feel like the world's out to get you because your check engine light came on you're not going to deal with that situation rationally and i'm not saying that's how you felt but i'm sure a lot of people feel that without consciously voicing that opinion you know (laughs) Yeah. Um, and then uh, the last thing he talked about that I really liked in this chapter was most of this, uh, most of this wasted time spent worrying about these problems or these obstacles and trials is, is just wasted energy. It's energy you can't get back and it doesn't change anything, which I find true. Yeah. And I would think that that also applies to the last chapter, right? Where you can choose to be happy. You can choose to to view these events however you want to. And if you spend too much time complaining or whining or just being really frustrated, it's just a lot of wasted energy, you know? Yeah, I agree. Uh so this third chapter is called Contemplating Death, which <laughs> I found super interesting because it's not something I've ever thought about. And it, he explains it by calling death the greatest teacher you can have. Because if you can think of death as if it were on the door on your doorstep all the time, how would you live your life? What would you do differently? And if you can think that frequently, like every day, uh, it will affect every decision you make and, and you'll probably be a lot happier because you'll do things as if it was your last day. Uh, which reminds me of that song, uh, that country song. You know which one I'm talking about? Is Live it? like you were dying. That one? Yep. <laughs> yep. It also reminded me of like 
when I was in junior high, everyone would be like YOLO, and then they do something stupid. YOLO, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it reminded me of that. It's been a little while since I heard YOLO. Yeah, I have written in my notes one bullet point: classic quotation marks. Live like you were dying. Speech. <laughs> nice. I think, I think I got that from yeah that song. Um. Yeah, so I, I mean, I think this idea is always a good reminder, you know. Um, I mean, I do think I do think I have basically heard this idea in a few different forms before, where just you should live like you were dying, you know, like that song says, yeah. like Michael A. Singer says, and um, you know, it helps you to not get caught up in in less important things. Remember that life is fleeting. Um, the one thing that, that I think is always a good reminder is he talked about how you should treat every conversation you have like it's the last one that you're ever going to have with that person. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, I think that's a very stoic idea um, of just like you never know you know, kind of like the idea of you never know if if you're if you're gonna wake up tomorrow or if your spouse is gonna wake up tomorrow, and you shouldn't like rush through these sometimes menial tasks um, just to rush through them. You know, um, and it yeah. honestly it reminded me of a movie that I actually watched last night with Kylie. It's one of her favorite movies, and uh, and it's also one of my favorite movies at this point because she's introduced me to it. But it's called About Time. I don't know if you ever heard of it. Nope. Um, it's definitely worth a watch. I think there are a couple things you kind of have to fast forward through, but just just a couple. Um, but it's it's a movie about a guy who can time travel. Um, but. He can just time travel through his own life and go back to old moments, and he can't go in the future, just in the past. Um, but oh, I've seen that. I've seen it. Have you? I think so. Yeah. Because um, does his dad also have the same power? Yeah, it's like his whole family. Yeah, all the men in his family. It's just kind of the storyline. Um, yeah. It is a it is a great movie, and the message at the end is kind of like. Because his dad dies from cancer, and he like goes back in time and sees his dad a bunch, um, but then he can't go past once his kid's born because then his kid will like be different. So he has to like say goodbye to his dad to have another kid with his wife. And anyway, his dad's like, "You should live every day the first time, and then go back and relive that day." And like doing that, you know how things are going to turn out you know like what not to be stressed about so you live the day the second time and just like enjoy it right yeah see the beauty in in life in everyday things <clears throat> which is a really good idea and then at the very end of the sun is just like i don't even do that anymore kind of like the closing monologue is he decides to just live every day as if it's like the single day that he's gone back in his life to live and jo- and enjoy one more time something about he's like this is the day i chose to go and relive you know this one beautiful day of my extraordinary ordinary life 
if that makes any sense. Uh, if it doesn't, yeah. just go watch the movie because the movies are really good. But um, it's just a really good message, you know, just to like act like every day is because there's the idea of like, oh, I'd love to go back five years and just relive one day, like relive one day when me and you were roommates and we would just go play spike ball and the world was just, you know, I, I was so carefree or go back to high school and relive one day. But the message is just live every day as if you've come back to live that day and just enjoy the beauty in it, you know? Yeah. Anyway, I don't know if any of that's going to make sense to our listeners, uh, especially if you haven't seen the movie. But <laughs> Yeah, just go watch the movie. It's good. It's, yeah. one, thing, one thing that he brings up in this chapter, and I want to get your thoughts on it, is that life belongs to death. And because life belongs to death, meaning everyone, everyone's life eventually will come to a close with death, it's kind of like an equalizer of sorts. The rich die, the poor die, doesn't matter what color you are, you're going you're gonna to die. Um, I found that super profound when I just sat there and like soaked that in. I don't know. What, what, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, that that makes sense. If you look at it from a religious point of view, um, I mean, what, what I believe, what you believe, is there's going to be a judgment day, right? It's like, in the end of it all, it will all be equal. But, and, and Michael Singer gets more into his religious beliefs in the very last chapter. Um, but yeah, it... It's it's true death, and I did like the way he put that. That um, death is is the great equalizer, you know. Um, it goes along with his idea that you're just one little person living on a rock, flying through space. Yeah, uh, it just puts some good perspective on on your everyday concerns and worries that just don't have a very long-term significance. Yeah. So going back to that movie, um, his Michael Singer's last thing in this chapter is that why, why fear something that will happen to everybody? And those that fear some fear death typically fear it because they feel like they, they haven't accomplished everything um and they have this fear of the unknown they're not living life like the guy in the movie they're not enjoying every day as if it were their last they're not living it like and and me included of course i don't live every day as if i went back to live that day you know which i i think is interesting that is a good movie go watch that movie everybody Um, but it, it's also, it's a very hard thing to really put into your everyday life. You know, it's very hard. Um, for example, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to study for the CPA tests and, uh, it's like, if I really came back to, to live one day, would I spend time studying for my CPA test that I'm going to take next week? No. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's fair. Um, so it's, I mean, you got to apply it to certain things, but if you also have some really long-term goal or something like that, uh, maybe don't apply it in that area. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think it applies, you know, almost a hundred percent to a lot of the most important things, um, to relationships, to, you know, your family, your friends. I think there's just a lot of power in that idea and that mindset. I like that. All right. You want to take the next one? Chapter 18 is called The Secret of the Middle Way. And I don't have too many notes on this. This also just felt kind of like an idea that I've heard many times before. But it's the idea of, let's see, I wrote it down in a lot of different ways. But he kind of talks about Tao, I think is how you pronounce it. And I don't remember what religion that is, if it's Buddhist or... Um, I I looked it up. I think it's from a religion called Tao or Taoism, however you no. say it. I'm not yeah, sure, though. I, I think you're right. I think I have heard of that before. But he talks about yin and yang. He talks about, you know, true balance. It reminded me of moderation in all things. He basically talks about how... And in... in yeah, let's go with that... Taoism or that religion, uh, I don't know if I'm saying it right, but they call it <laughs> they call no it they call it the way, and it just means where you're walking in perfect balance of all things. He also gives the example of a, a pendulum that's swinging, and the ideal state you're in is a pendulum at perfect rest, just perfectly centered in all things in life. And how that is the most energy efficient way to live. Because if you're swinging from one side to the other, you're really exerting a lot of energy. Um, but if you're truly balanced in all things, uh, you can just, that's a real source of power and energy in your life. Um, which, again, he speaks so definitively that I had a hard time with his chapter in, in a way. <laughs> but... I see what he's saying, where bringing it into a normal person's life, like, obviously, if you spend 16 hours a day working seven days a week, like, very few people are going to be happy with that schedule, you know, and if you don't spend any time working, you're not going to be able to provide for your family or whatever it is, you're not going to feel... Uh, like you're worth the space you take up because you're not doing anything to contribute to society. But, um, I mean, you just got to find balance in all things and having that moderation is, there's a lot of value in that as well. Yeah. I really liked the example he gave in the book with the clingy, like the different relationships you can have. He talks about people that are super lonely, which is one end of the spectrum or the pendulum. And then the other side of that pendulum is you're in a relationship that's very clingy, like the person's super clingy. Those are both two very extreme uh, sides. Uh, and I know people that are are lonely and they're just unhappy because they're so lonely all the time. 
uh, to the point where they try. They they convince themselves that they're trying to not be lonely, but they're not really doing anything about it, and it's just wasted energy. And then I know people that are just super clingy in their relationships, which is also a lot of energy. And eventually the person that they're clinging to is like, yo, I kind of need a little bit of space. I need some time for me, you know, which again is just wasted energy. So I see what he's saying. I liked his sailboat analogy too, because he said, there's tons of different things on a sailboat that need to be right for it to be able to sail. And life is like that too. Like you can't, you can't have your sail too tight or it won't sail, but there, there's also like 50 other things that you can't have too tight or too loose. And, and that's how life is because you're juggling all these different things and it's way easier to just, pick the middle of all these don't be too far on one pendulum swing or you just waste a bunch of energy i was trying to think of things that i waste energy on because i'm at one extreme or the other i couldn't think of anything but i'm sure i do have things yeah i mean it made me think of potentially politics uh when you meet those people who are just way off to one side of the right or the left, uh, they just seem kind of crazy, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Either way. Um, and it feels like, you know, they're exerting a lot of energy into their beliefs. Um, and it doesn't really make most people like them, no matter what side of the, the spectrum you're on, it would seem to me. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I think it could happen in in any aspect of your life. And that's kind of what he talks about. Um, the one last example that he wrote that I wrote down that he used was the eye of a hurricane. Um, how, if you're really balanced, you're just right there in the middle and peaceful, right? Yeah. uh, If you get out of that, it just, it gets hectic. Your life can get crazy. Um, and I feel like there are times when I've, you know, not been super happy with with what I'm doing or I'm just slipping into a rut. Um, and it's usually because I'm neglecting, you know, one thing or the other that is good for me, you know. Um, yeah. And I feel like that's an example of just falling out of balance as well. But I don't know. This idea was definitely, you know, I think... a yoga e idea <laughs> which obviously there's probably there's a lot of good stuff in it but um that's really all i got about that one yeah i don't have anything else okay uh okay let's go to the last chapter and uh this chapter to me was it brought a lot of things together from this book and about this author and what he believes. And I feel like it was pretty important to, to understand this part of, of his belief system. But it's called The Loving Eyes of God. And uh, Garrett, what did, you, what did you think of this last chapter? 
Well, the biggest thing I took took away from it was the belief that God isn't the creator of love, but he is pure love itself. Which I agree with. I don't think you can create an emotion per se. So in that way, I I agree with him. I don't think that God uh, is is the creator of all of our emotions. You know, love is an emotion we feel. Um, and I do think that that God has an incredible amount of love for us to the point where you probably could consider him as pure love. Uh, one thing I liked is liked that he talked about was the fact that as you grow spiritually, you'll feel more love for those around you. Uh, and you'll have less judgment for those people kind of like empathy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I liked all those parts as well. Um, I mean, I think, um, I lost my spot. Okay. So he, yeah. So the reason, well, okay. I'm rambling here. Let me reset. This chapter felt really important because he really, he'd mentioned God a couple times and he had quoted a couple Bible verses, but he hadn't really gotten into his individual beliefs of, of God, right? In this book. At least not that I can remember. Yeah. And then suddenly this whole last chapter is is him talking about God and how how he talks about, I mean, the chapter is titled The Loving Eyes of God, and he talks about how if you just open yourself to God, that it's just this amazing feeling, and you can feel him watching you, and it's just pure love, and you can feel that pure love. Um, which a lot of that makes sense, and a lot of that I, I agree with, like God's ability to, to love. And, and to go along with what you said, I mean, I think God gave us that capacity to, to feel love, right? Um, and I think love is a very important ingredient in um, a happy life. Um, but the part that, that um, the reason I thought this chapter was so important was I think it really explains a lot of this guy's other beliefs um because he speaks so definitively about about happiness and this is the way you should live your life and and whatnot <clears throat> and then he goes on to explain his perception his perception of or his belief in god is a god of pure love he talks about how when you turn to god no apologies are needed he talks about how you can't offend him and he also said how god God only knows ecstasy, um, which I I don't I don't agree with those things. I I think you know God has standards for us, and God does care how we behave, right? Um, 
although he is, you know, obviously, and more importantly than anything, he loves us perfectly. But if you, if you did believe that, if you did believe that God is literally pure love, as he explains, um, literally every one of his other beliefs makes a lot more sense to me now. Yeah. I don't know. I think that, uh, I think that God having pure love or being pure love and him having standards for us aren't necessarily mutually exclusive either. I think that no matter what we do, he will still, he will still love us. Um, because I, I, I think I do agree with him that he is pure love based on, I think he can be disappointed in us and things we've done, but that disappointment stems from love, just like a parent. So, I don't know. But, yeah, I agree with you. I think his this book does make a lot more sense when you understand how, or his belief in God and, and where all of his ideas kind of stem from. Just like anybody else, though, if you understand someone's backstory, their decisions and, and things they do and things they say, things they write, tend to make a lot more sense. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, the one the one thing I found pretty funny in this last chapter, he talks about how, well, he, he talks about, you know, how there are all these books about God and they all conflict with each other. And if you find one book that says one thing about God, you can go find five other books that say the opposite. And then right after he finishes that, he's like, but this is how it is. This is who God is. Yeah, that's fair. Everyone has their opinion. No one really knows. They all disagree, but this is how it is. He's like, I know. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Which made me laugh pretty hard, but. (laughs) That's funny. um, But yeah, I mean, I, I thought this chapter was pretty key because yeah, like you said, knowing knowing that backstory and knowing that kind of core belief that this guy has, it does explain a lot of of the other things that he said, um, and and it kind of explained why I didn't agree with everything you said. I think at times, but <laughs> would you have rather had this chapter up front so you knew his beliefs, or do you like that it was at the end? Um, I don't know. That's a good question. I'm not sure that I would have gotten to the end of this book if we weren't committed to it for the podcast. So in that way, maybe it would have been better earlier on. But I do think it kind of wrapped up the book in a in a somewhat nice way. Um, I don't know. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I don't have anything left. Me neither. Thank goodness. Done with this. <laughs> hey, we have 
one possible follow-up episode. Yeah, I suppose so. <laughs> maybe maybe half an episode. I feel like I have expressed my opinions, but yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe a short half an episode. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody.